0: We're starting today a series called Awaken, and it's really my prayer that over the next five weeks as we dive into God's Word, that God would wake us up. As I was preparing for this message, I, I was reminded that there are so many things that we experience in life, right, that give us perhaps a tiny glimpse into the perspective that God has of us. Right I I think it's important just to kind of recognize that front God sees the world differently than we do doesn't he And I think that maybe that moment when we have kids and 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 that first time that we feel the love in our heart begin to grow for them it gives us a tiny glimpse into the love that the father has for us doesn't it, it Gives us this appreciation that we have a, a good father that loves us I think maybe there's some experiences that remind me that I'm very thankful that God is in control and we are not as well. Maybe none so much as to watch someone play a video game called The Sims. Have you ever played The Sims before? The Sims is where you create a person and then you kind of act like God, right? You give them desires and you grow them and help them get a job and all this kind of stuff. And I think that... Watching someone play The Sims reminds me that I'm so thankful that God is in control because we will literally create some person, grow them up, get them in a swimming pool, build concrete walls around the swimming pool so they have to drown, right? That's how sadistic people are that are playing it. And it's an addictive game. It's an addictive game. I've never played it personally, but it's an addictive game. So much so that there are websites devoted to people who play The Sims. I, sa- I, I found some pretty funny pictures of people playing The Sims this week, so I want to show them with you. Here's the first one. This is, this is when you know you've got a problem. I spent an hour planning this wedding, and I actually shed a tear over it because I remember both of them, erasing both of them, like they were literally just born yesterday, and now getting married. And then my mom made me get off the game because she's concerned for my well-being. <laughs> and and then the, the comment below that the guy just died of old age today, and I'm actually crying. And my mom confiscated the game, so no more Sims for like a week, <laughs> right? You know that's it's it's addictive. And 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 so there's some funny things that happen with the way that the Sims live. They they require constant guidance and interaction. Here's some interesting ones. Here, this is uh, a young girl. She is, you see her in front of the sink. And the video game is giving you options of stuff to do. You can tinker or wash your hands or brush your teeth. But uh, if you make a selection, it says your Sim is too lonely to do that right now. <laughs> your Sim is too lonely to brush their teeth. That's horrible, but it's true, apparently. Next one, next one. Next um, here we got. Here we have a, a Sim who is next to their house that is on fire, but they're uh, preoccupied with their trampoline. So they're jumping up and down on the trampoline when their house burns down. Next one. This is, I think, a text message from a girl to her mom. I'm not going to explain this if you don't know what woohoo means um, in Sim's language, but let's just say it's an adult-related activity. I uh, <laughs> thought it was celebrating. All right, next one. Next one. And this is an option that someone said happened um, to them when they were playing. The social worker is removing someone from your family. Are you sure you want to save the game right now in this situation? Apparently they had fell asleep and neglected their kids, and it went days and days and days, and the game sent a social worker to confiscate their kids. All right, that's crazy. That's crazy. And you know what's absurd? Even more absurd than that is that our lives look like that sometimes. Our lives look like that. We're jumping up and down on the trampoline of life while everything that matters around us is burning down. We're so, so depressed and lonely and afraid that we're crippled from doing the things that really, really matter. I want to take you back to a a central verse for us as a church. And I I want to kind of expand it a little bit more today, kind of dive into it. It comes out of John 14. Right before Jesus makes this statement, he's kind of told them, hey, there's going to come a time I'm leaving you and I'm going to go away. And then you get to come and be with me where I'm at. And so we pick up in John 14. Verse 5, where Thomas, one of his disciples says, I have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus responds in what I think is the boldest statement in human history. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way the truth, and the life. You know what's interesting about that word, life? This is, it's a good translation. It's probably the best word that we have in English to translate that into. But the word that's used there is the, word, the Greek word, zoe. Zoe is, is not talking about biological life. It is not talking about a cell that is alive. It's not talking about a heart that's beating. It's talking about a greater transcendent understanding of life. Have you ever been around someone that when you left them, you thought, and they're just full of life. They're full of life. Uh, when I'm around them, I, I feel encouraged. I feel uplifted. When I leave them, I feel like something inside of me has been poured into. Like I, I was empty and I left them feeling full. They're full of life. They are full of what Jesus would say is zoe. That's the idea that went with that word. That's what that word means. So when Jesus says, I am life, I am life, he's not just saying, like, I'm the one that's sustaining your heart beating. While he is. I'm the one holding all of your cells together in your body. While he is, he's saying, I'm the one that takes your everyday routine, and makes it something bigger and more meaningful than you could ever do on your own. I fill you with life. So today, as we get started in this series, I think it's important to deal with three different topics, what it means to be alive, awake, and asleep. First thing I want you to see today is that being fully alive is being awake. Being fully alive is being awake. And all throughout Scripture, the Bible is going to use this analogy that when we're awake, we're alive, we're full of life, we've embraced life the way God would intend it, but when we're asleep, we're living in death. Because you know, death isn't just something that happens when you stop breathing. Death is something that we can live. Look at this verse out of Ephesians 5. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, those that are asleep. See, we're dead when we're asleep. That really kind of brings us to two. Living completely awakened is simply embracing God's plan for our lives. Being completely awakened is being someone who's looked into God's heart and said, God, what you want from my life, I will give it to you. What you want from me, what you want from my attitude, what you want from my behavior, what you want from my my everything, God, I will give it to you. I am completely holistically submitted to you. That's where we find real life. That's when we're living completely awakened. I love what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29-11. For I know the plans I have for you. This is God talking to, to Jeremiah. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you, look at this, to give you hope and a future. God's saying, my my plans are not ruined because you disobeyed me. My plans are not ruined because you have a past. My plans are not ruined because such and such happened. My plans are to give you a hope and a future. And in just a little bit, we're going to find out that God is constantly working to orient our hearts in a future-forward way. God wants to give us a hope and a future. And number three, this is important: when we reject God's life, the life that God, we basically sleepwalk through life. And I don't know if any of you have ever sleepwalked before. Anybody grow up with a brother or sister that sleepwalked? Got out of them, and you thought they were awake. They did everything that people who are awake normally do. They get up and walk around, right? But something's wrong. The life that is supposed to be there is not there. This week, I was uh, just happened to catch a YouTube video. This, we're going to show it to you. So let me set it up for you. This is uh, a a young couple in. Uh, The wife worked a night shift as a nurse, and she would come back during the day, and all the milk would be gone. All all the milk would be She would ask her her husband, where'd the milk go? Where'd the milk go? I'm missing the milk. Why did you drink all the milk? And he would say, I didn't drink the milk. I didn't drink the milk. Why are you mad at me about the milk? And so she decided, I'm going to do a little investigating here. I'm going to set up some cameras and see what's really going on. I'm going to figure it out. And so this is what she caught on tape. This is funny. Y'all watch this. Now, here's the thing. I mean, we watch that happen. And we're like, that's crazy. But the truth is, is I think that anytime we buy into a version of life that is not God's design for life, all it does is cause us to sleepwalk through life as it is we buy into a version of life, goals and objectives and uh, things that we would want or desire for us or our families that are not a part of what God wants for you. When we buy into that kind of a lifestyle, all we end up doing is sleepwalking through life. Maybe the greatest example of that and all of Scripture. It comes in what is my favorite story that Jesus would tell. It happened in Luke 15. Jesus tells three consecutive stories about things that are lost, and then he lands on a story that he really kind of leans into about a father with some sons. At the very beginning of Jesus telling this story, the youngest son comes to the father and says, I want my inheritance. Now, just to step back. So, you know, that's that's an extremely offensive thing to have done to the father. The father uh, was not dead. It's essentially saying to him, I wish you were dead. You mean nothing to me but the money that I'm going to get when you die. So why don't you just go ahead and give me the money so I can get out of here and have some fun with it? And so the father was faithful. And those days, inheritance wasn't something that was kept in a bank. It was something that was owned and possessed, maybe like cattle or sheep. And so, the father would sell off enough money to create enough liquid assets to create the portion that the son should get, and gave it to him. You see, the so the problem with this son, the younger son, is that he had bought into a version of life that was not God's version of life. And so he takes all of the resources, enough resources to have done an awesome thing with his life, to have started a business, to go off and to build a family. He takes those, goes to a foreign land and lives wildly and squanders all the money. Squanders all the money. To the point where he's hungry and desperate for a job. And as Jesus tells the story, he gets a job feeding pigs. Now for a Jew, or obviously a pig, is an unclean animal. This is the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. He is now having to feed pigs, longing to eat the food that he's giving the unclean animal. And then look at this verse in Luke fifteen seventeen. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. When he finally came to his senses, when he woke up, when he woke up, when he realized that the things that he had been chasing were never going to provide that life that Jesus says that he is, when he woke up, he realized that at home, at home, even the servants to my dad have food to eat and here I am starving. You see, sin creates a counterfeit life that leaves us with the nagging suspicion that there must be more to life than this. Sin will create a counterfeit version of life that will leave us with the nagging suspicion that there must be more to life than this. You know what's interesting, though? I've never had a conversation with a kid where the kid said, "Uh, you know what, I'm really struggling with my purpose today. Uh, I just, you know, I want to go play, but there's no meaning in it. You know, I mean, come on, Pastor Kevin, there's got to be more to life than toys. Have you ever had that conversation with a kid? You haven't. You haven't. Isn't it interesting that somewhere between our childhood and now, we've lost something that connects us so deeply to life? We've lost something. You see, kids do something that's very unique. Think about this with me. Kids tend to look at the present moment as an opportunity and the future as a possibility. They look at the moment that we're living in right now as a moment of opportunity. How many of y'all have ever watched a kid make a toy out of something you never thought could be played with? Right? You know why they do that? Because they look at the moment right now as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to enjoy life. And they look future, futures filled with possibility. Because for a kid, the world is always being viewed through the lens of wonder. They're always looking at the world that we live in, through eyes that are filled with wonder. And somewhere since our childhood, many of us have lost that wonder. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 18. I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like a little child, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never get in. We never get to be a part of this grand story that God's writing if we can't learn to look at this moment in the future the same way that kids do. So what I want to do today as we talk about awakening to wonder. Is I want to take you to a very simple verse, and I want to spend just a few moments trying to expound on it for you. That verse comes out of Hebrews eleven, verse one and two, and then I'm gonna attack on six at the end. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. For without faith it is impossible to please God. The first thing I want to do is I want to tell you that faith awakens wonder. Faith awakens wonder. Faith in our lives allows us to dream of a possibility of a reality that is not in existence right now. Faith awakens wonder. It lets us look at a world that is broken and lost and hurting and see restoration and hope. Faith awakens wonder. And it is deeply connected to it. It's deeply connected to it. Number two, faith awakens us to God. (coughs) Faith awakens us to God. Put that verse back up there, Hebrews 11. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. I want you to think about this with me. Most of of us do not live lives that are faithful the way that the Bible describes faith. Confidence in what we hope for. You see, most of us live lives where right now we're confident in what we have and we're fearful of what we hope for. We're confident in what we have, but we're fearful of what we hope for. I mean, you probably have had a conversation in the last month with someone that illustrates that. Have you ever talked to someone that hates their job? You ever talk to somebody, man, I just hate my job. Really? Yeah, I don't like my boss. Where do you work? Vortex Church. (laughs) Right? I mean, you ever talk to that person and you're sitting there thinking, why don't you quit and get a new job? Because they are confident in what they have. Fearful of what they hope for. You ever had a friend that was dating Somebody and it was just a bad relationship. And you're just watching it all happen. You're like, come on. I mean, just get out of that. You're not engaged. You're not married. There is no formal commitment. Get out of that thing. And you talk to her and she's like, yeah, I know he's rude. I know he's not nice. I know he calls me names. But, you know, I just, you know, I don't really want to. I just, I don't know if I can find anything better. Seriously, you ever had, I mean, we've had that conversation. Why? Because people are confident in what they have. But fearful of what they hope for. That's not faith. See, faith awakens us to God. It creates a confidence in things that are not seen. A hope for things that have yet to be uh, materialized. God, God calls us. To live by faith. You see, faith does something else. Number three, faith restores our God-given purpose. Faith restores our God-given purpose. See, many of us are struggling with that. We're struggling with that, with that reality of, I, I don't feel like I'm living up to what God wants me to live up to. I'm I don't feel like I'm I'm actually kind of where God wants me. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I don't know that I'm living the lifestyle that God wants me. I have never seen a beagle ever say that. Ever. Never seen a beagle go, "Oh, you know what? God made me for something more than this." Never seen a cow say that, right? You know what's unique about us is that in all of human history, one common thread connects every human. is that we were differentiated from all creation because God made us in His image. Genesis 1 says that God crafted us differently. And that God, as the story begins to unfold, desires a relationship with you. God created us to live in relationship with Himself just as He had, through the mystery of the multiple persons of God, lived in relationship with Himself. And we have the choice, just like any relationship, to say, no, God. No. I don't want it. And there are many of us in the room That in maybe some obvious ways and probably thousands of subtle ones, we've looked into the heart of God and said, God, I know what you want from me, but no way. And in doing so, we become less than what God created us to do. You see, faith restores our God-given purpose. Faith allows us to look into the heart of God and say, God, you ask it, I will do it. God, you want to adjust my attitude? That's fine. I will let you change me. God, you want me to go? I will go. God, you want me to stay? I'll stay. God, whatever you want, I will give it to you. Faith. Faith restores that purpose. And there are many of you that as you step into 2016, the issue is not your weight. The issue is not how much time you spend reading books throughout the year. Your your greatest issue is finding your identity and purpose in your faith in Jesus. Number four, faith awakens hope for the future. Faith awakens hope for the future. You see, faith has a future orientation. But how many of you know that our lives naturally like to turn around and look backwards, don't they? Naturally like to dwell in the past. See, often we live lives that are oriented in the past in regret. Here's the one thing I want to make sure you get this this morning. That your past can be the greatest hurdle for your future. And that is not just people who have histories of failure and sin and trials and brokenness. It is for some of you that come out of grand stories with lots of success and lots of of personal triumph because your past is not your future. Think about what faith is defined here. It's defined as the substance of things hoped for hope is in the future regret lives in the past but hope is for the future so let me ask you this very important question for many of us today if faith is so future oriented why do we work so hard to hold on to the past Why do we work so hard to hold on to the past? Some of us work so hard to hold on to hurts and regrets and pain. And some of us work really hard to hold on to past successes so that we'll be idolized and cheered for it. Why do we work so hard to hold on to it? Instead of allowing faith to let us see the future and letting God come. Build it through our lives. Number five, faith allows wonder to create a new reality. Faith allows wonder to create a new reality. See, there is... A special thing in the heart of a child that is deeply connected to faith. If you have kids, you've seen this before. One of my son's favorite things to do, his mom is here and so she got to see this for the first time last night and she hates me that this is now a thing. Um, But one of my, my son's favorite things to do now is for me to pick him up and literally throw him across the room onto our bed. It's like as far away as I can get and just launch him he calls it going for a swing. I don't understand what that means, but Daddy, swing me. All right, all right, then throw him, and he'll come back. And as many times as I'll pick him up and throw him, he'll love it. He loves it when I pick him up and throw him up in the air and catch him. See, the thing about you guys is if if I could pick you up and throw you up in the air, <laughs> you probably wouldn't like it because you'd be thinking the whole time, you're going to drop me. You're going to drop me. And my son, my son doesn't think that. He thinks this is awesome. This is awesome. You're throwing me up in the air. You're going to catch me. You're my dad. See, faith is deeply connected to our relationship with God and our relationship with the future. And just like kids find a way to allow faith to creep into moments, and to expose the possibility of a future, we've got to realize that as faith awakens wonder in our hearts, it invites us to go on a journey with God to create a new reality. Think about what God said to Jeremiah at the very opening of that book. He said in Jeremiah 1.4 to Jeremiah, before I knit you together in your mother's womb, I knew you. He could say that to each of us. Before I made you, I knew you. I dreamed you up, and then I made you. The reality existed in God's mind before it existed in our world. God thought it, dreamed it, then He made it. Think about a story of creation. Science tells us that a long time ago there was nothing, then all of a sudden there was something, then there was a big explosion, then all we're here, right? That's how how we got here. That's the story that science would tell about creation. Think about what we say as believers, that there was nothing. Out of the nothing, God made something. And through however it happened, God got us to here. Really, the grandest difference between those two stories is God. Out of nothing came something. God dreamed it, and then he made it. And I think that in a world that is filled with brokenness and hurting and pain, we all look around and we see situations that break our hearts, and we look up into the heavens and we say to God, God! God, why aren't you doing something? God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you changing this, God? Why aren't you getting... Him? Why are you letting this thing happen? And God's looking back at you and saying, I've already done something. I created you. And now I've given you a vision to see the brokenness and to see world beyond where it is through wonder and faith. And I want to work through you to change this world. See, that that is what faith and wonder does. It allows us to see a future that's beyond the brokenness and the sinfulness of the world that we live in. And God, through faith, invites us into a journey where through us, He changes this world. You see, I hope that as we step into 2016, that your hearts awaken to wonder like a child on Christmas morning. That you see the possibility in the future. That every moment's opportunity, you will drink from it this year like from the cup of life. that you will live lives that are awoken to faith. What if every person in this room, what if all of us came awake to wonder and could see the world the way God wants us to see it? What if all of us made the decision to step into the journey to become the kind of people that He wants us to be. To make a difference in this world. To see lives changed. To see lostness challenged. To see people restored. To see families healed. What if we stepped into that? I can tell you what would happen. This city, this county would be changed. That's what would happen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the invitation to know you. God, that faith in you, in the present world that we live in, can change our reality. Thank you, God, that you can allow us to see the world again like a child. And would you please, God? Through your grace and mercy, wake us up. God, as we spend the next few weeks diving into your word, I pray that for every soul, every heart, God, you would guide us, challenge us, lead us, wake us up to the reality that is only found in a life with you. So God, today, God, we just lean into that. God, we're not going to run from it. So God, we just ask you, help us. To wake up, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. Nobody moving yet. All right. Here's the question. Are you sleepwalking? Are you sleepwalking through life right now? Are you sleepwalking through life? Are you going through the motions without purpose or meaning or passion? because if you are, all it takes is you turning to God and saying, God, wake me up. Wake me up today, God. So if that's you and you're sleepwalking through life and you decide right now, I want to be woke up by God. God, wake me up. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. Who else? Who else? Hands all over the room. Who else? Awesome. So God, for those that are here, that raised their hands and said that, God, it's time for them to wake up. God, be with them. God, we know that faith and life comes from you. And so we look to you to be the author and perfecter of all of that. God, we lean on you. You're so good to us. God, take care of them, guide them, encourage them as they take their next steps to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Thanks for listening.